This time on Chew Diligence, Crane Brewing. More than sours. We focused on that to start with, but as times change, we expanded. And the smoking barbecue making a home at their brewery. He sets up on Saturdays at 11 a.m. and sells out by two or three. Welcome to this episode of Chew Diligence, and this time it's all about what's in the glass with Crane Brewing. Lindsay Shively here with Jill Silva. Hi, Jill. Hey, Lindsay. How are you? Good. We just heard the clinking and the bubbles pouring from Crane Brewing. What do we got over there? Well, uh, it looks like the Trailsmith. So are you ready for this? I have introduced our guests. IPA, and then we're going to work our way through some of these. These are signature Crane brews. And so I'd like to introduce today Mr. Michael Crane. Hi. Hi. Michael um, is the namesake for this fabulous brewing company. And Chris Meyer. Hello. Hello. How are you? Doing well, thanks. And your role at the... You're going to tell us how you guys met each other and started a brewery together. Sounds good. Correct? Yeah. Yep. That'll be fun. Okay. But let's... Let's start. Usually we start with the food, Lindsay, so I'm sorry to leave you out of this one. But let, <laughs> let's let's start with the beer, guys. What what am I drinking here? Yeah, so this is Trailsmith. This is our, if we had a flagship, this is one of our go-to year-round beers. Classic Belgian Saison um, based on a, a style we love, DuPont out of Belgium. Super dry, crisp, a lot of uh, bubblegum, banana, spice, and black pepper. Bubblegum. I like that. Yeah. So most of the flavors in this beer come from the fermentation, not uh, necessarily just the grain bill. Mm. So it ferments at a warmer temperature, so you get a spicy character, peppery, uh, bubblegum, uh, cloves sometimes. And it changes as the beer warms up, too. I love these descriptors. They're a little less snooty than the whole wine array sometimes. I, I've never heard bubblegum right. when I taste yeah, a wine, a, right? I would guess not. That's bringing it down to a level that people can understand. But people love beer, but a lot of really complicated things are going on with beer. How did you, Michael, stumble into this beer? Because I, Lindsay, I have to say, I know this story. It's a good one. Let's, so let's it's, jump uh, in uh, something about a um, science experiment. Oh, yes. well, actually, oh, not really a science experiment. So um, it's kind of funny. I was not a beer drinker at all uh, growing up. And um, I, back in uh, December 2009, my wife and I were shopping at Target and stumbled across a Mr. Beer Kit on closeout. Oh. And our kids were in college and had started drinking beer. I'm thinking they were 21. I'm, I'm, I'll assume they were 21 at the time. And <laughs> um, we thought, well, we'll get this beer kit and it'll be fun for the kids over winter break. And so we brewed a, f- a few batches together, and I got really hooked on the science of it. And Because uh, it's chemistry, right? It is, basically, and microbiology. I didn't know anything about beer or microbiology or any of that at the time. I just thought it was really cool that you could take a sweet liquid and turn it into something that was alcoholic and, and quite tasty. So uh, I started pursuing that, and I got quickly uh, obsessed with it. And within a couple of weeks, I bought some stuff to make five-gallon batches. And uh, shortly after that, I uh, built an all-grain brewing system. I all like, like to tinker and build things uh, my whole life. And I, uh, the first year of full year of brewing was 2010, and I, 
I kept a spreadsheet on on for all the batches and all of the uh, instructions on on what to do on each step because I didn't really fully understand it. So I still have that document. And I, the first year of brewing, I did 42 batches of beer. And by the end of 2010, I was doing about 15 gallons every weekend. But the funny thing is I still wasn't a beer drinker. I did taste it. But and there and there there've been some uh, misunderstanding. Some people think that I don't drink a lot of beer because I don't like it. I really do like it. I just have a real low alcohol tolerance, so I don't drink a lot. But uh, anyway, so I got really quickly obsessed with uh, home brewing. Uh, joined Kansas City Beer Meisters Home Brew Club, oh. and found out about these home brew competitions. And I started winning competitions, and then I got really obsessed with entering competitions and <laughs> trying to win as many medals as I could. And uh, but it was about the end of 2013. Um, there was a, a, a Star Magazine. Sarah Gish did a, a great little story about this crazy home brewer that didn't drink, and Chris <laughs> saw the uh, saw these, the story and reached out to me. And around the same time. I uh, found out that one of my customers, I was in the manufacturing business, one of the customers, major customer, was going to have my product made in China. And around that same time, Chris had reached out to me, and we decided to do the brewery together. So I owned the building, and it made that part easier. We spent most of uh, 2014 going to beer festivals and put together a business plan and raised money and spent most of 2015 building the brewery. By the end of 2015, uh, we were in distribution. Wow. And uh, growing ever since. And I feel like you guys came on the scene right as it was really starting, like the brewery scene, the microbrewery, nanobrewery, all yeah. that, really starting to explode in town, right? The Yeah, locally and in the U.S., it was all fairly new. There were fewer. The newer breweries had opened right before we did. And there were like 2,500, 3,000 breweries in the country at that time. Now we're going to be over 8,000. Oh, wow. And so it's it's really, the dynamic has changed across the country. And people's tastes have changed too. And it's important to sort of keep a, aware of the changes in people's palate and and make different kinds of beer. I do remember uh, when we first started, there were about three or so other breweries in town and a few others that were in planning at the same time. I think there's over 30 now in the Kansas we'll City metro area. Over 40 by the end of the year. Oh, wow. gosh. It's like every week another brewery opens. Well, what do you think about that? Does it, you know, does it is it great for everybody or is it starting to become saturated? What do you think? It's it's exciting and there's there's more suburban breweries. So it the kind of mindset of it's not just my local bar, it's my local brewery. Where can I go and find mm. the freshest beer right around the corner from me? And there's been some changes. We've lost a few of our local breweries in the same time that we've added more. But for the most part, it's, it's a lot of the bigger breweries. It's all the breweries that used to be able to just distribute anywhere and not have a, you know, a real local foot in the market that are selling less beer because there's these local breweries that are there to fill the place. So, Chris, how did you get um, – you, you read this story, and how did you get in touch with Michael? And then how did you think that owning your own brewery would be a good idea? <laughs> um, it was a matter – I mean, I fell in love with craft beer. I got into home brewing about 2012, and so I didn't home brew as long as a lot of people did, interested in opening a brewery. But I came from a business management background, came from veterinary medicine and managed a couple of practices in town and started visiting some of these new breweries that opened up right before we did and liked the idea of, you know, something I really enjoy. Talked to anybody I could, any brewery owner, any brewer, and that kind of made me fall in love with the industry because most companies you say, you know, I want to do what you do. 
They said, that's nice. Good luck. Go figure it out on your own. And brewing it, come over, have a beer. Let's see what we can do to help you. And I just reached out to anybody I could to learn more. A lot of the beer styles I was interested in, a lot of Belgian styles, less hours. Found, saw the article about Michael who had all these awards in these styles. Not knowing as much about the business side, I was thinking, oh, you know, work with somebody who has these recipes that already have awards attached to them, you know, learning from anybody. And, uh, and yeah, we just kind of hit it off and we had basically two teams looking at opening a brewery together and it just made a lot more sense to kind of combine our efforts. Because that has to be a large undertaking. Just the equipment has to be really expensive for opening a brewery, right? We, we raised a little over a million dollars to get it started. Wow. And, and it, it seems like Michael's story, you know, uh, the shorter timeline, but a lot of things had to fall into place. You know, meeting the original distributors that we signed with before we even opened, justified our business plan, helped us raise the last bit of capital we needed. Um, the styles we did starting out were a big void in the market. Now there's a lot of breweries doing similar styles all over the country. Just no one was doing them with fruit on a regularity, you know, year round. But And, uh, um, and also sour beers. That's something yeah. that... Uh, um, I, I started out doing a long time ago because it was a style of beer that uh, my uh, son was really liked, and uh, that's why I started brewing them. It, it's sort of a secret. Just don't tell anyone that sour beers are not my personal favorite style of beer. <laughs> uh, just keep that a secret. Don't tell anybody. But um, it was one of the favorite styles of beer to brew because I had figured out how to do it, and I was able to win medals with it. And it was always kind of fun to, to win a medal and have people applaud, and I get to stand up and and and, uh, and get a medal. So that was fun. But um, it was always a style of beer that I did brew a lot. Yeah. And it was also uh, styles of beer, the Belgian farmhouse ales and the funky wild fermented beers. Those were styles that the other partners also really felt strongly about and sort of passionate about. So we we focused on that to start with. But as times change, we expanded. For example, uh, the beer that we're just tasting right now, Trail Smith Saison, is uh, it's not a sour beer. Mm. But it is a Belgian farmhouse ale. I was going to ask, too, do you think beer drinkers are, uh, they find their favorite style and stick with it? I'm just thinking about my husband as an IPA guy, loves super hoppy beer. I know other people that like lighter beers, like Saisons and sours and all that yeah. stuff. I, I think the... Uh, the, the craft beer enthusiast is always looking for what is the next and the latest and, and most rare beer, mm. whereas I think uh, people that just drink beer and enjoy it will find there's a particular style they like more than another. But uh, I Like think red and white wine drinkers, agree, right? Agree, yeah. uh, Chris. Uh, I think just the market change and the amount of breweries there are, and like I said, there's a huge percentage of beer drinkers who, who do always want to try what's new. You know, any time they yeah. go into a bar or st- store, they want to try what, what's new. So staying on top of that can be difficult, but also really fun. The creativity gives a lot of options. Um, that is where you don't have as much, um, you might have really good brewery loyalty, but not necessarily to a particular beer. Like you're not going to go back, you don't have as many people who go back and buy the same beer every time they go to the store. Interesting. So one of the, one of the things that uh, we had to overcome a little bit is so many people thought we only did sour beers. Mm. So when we, uh, one of the first beers that we came out that was not a Belgian farmhouse ale or a sour beer was uh, Omar Porter. I would have brought some, but, but actually it's sold out right now, I believe. Uh, That's a good uh, problem. Sometimes. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I remember going out and visiting accounts, and they said, well, what kind of a sour beer is that? Well, it's not sour. It's a porter. So that's something that we have to overcome. But uh, And and we've done that pretty well. We've also got uh, another beer that we make called Raytown Common, 
It's uh, an American ale. It's a very simple, easy-drinking beer. Now, you've become known for a really interesting beer, Beet Vice. Oh, that's a fun... talk about, like, that's a seasonal beer for you, correct? Correct. Yeah, we've... In in early testing, we found out that the beets in the uh, fall had more sugars and a lot more earthy character. Hmm. Uh, some people say dirt as a <laughs> as a flavor component of the of beets. Barnyard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that is a that's a fun beer. Actually, uh, toot our own horn a little bit. Last year, uh, Wine Enthusiast magazine came out with the list of the top twenty five beers in the world. And our beet vice was number three. Oh, awesome. And Men's Journal Magazine came out with the best beer in each state, and beet vice was the number one beer from Missouri. So that, wow. that's pretty cool. Fun sidebar here is that Michael is working out at Powell Gardens. He's one of the chef in residence or distiller in residence. And um, so he came out. Chris couldn't come out that time, but they were talking about beets. And all of a sudden, Haley, the um, horticulturalist, said, I'm going to look into that. And before we know it, growing red mango beets for these guys, these beets are supposed to get to be 20 pounds. Yeah, Whoa. I can't wait to see that. I looked at some photographs. I, I, I looked at some images online. And it's like, holy cow, one beet would make a, quite a big Jumbo of beets. that beer. That's a keg beet, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Is the uh, beet weiss, is it pink or reddish oh, in color? Yeah. Beautiful. Absolutely. Beautiful, beautiful yeah, ruby. The color oh, cool. Absolute yeah. beet juice. And now, it's, <laughs> it's it's a great, I mean, it's one we work for a lot of chefs. They get excited when that beer comes out with Crookstrom um, Club, Scandinavian restaurant. We yeah. do a, a full beet dinner. So every course has beets, includes our beer in a few different ways. Um, and just because it, it is earthy, for me, it goes really well with like heavier foods, even Kansas City barbecue to charcuterie to some really good cheeses. Yeah. Yeah. I, the, the the comments that people make about that beer are really funny. I mean, some people really love it and some people don't. I, I'll never forget uh, a comment on uh, on a, a review on Untapped was, I hate beets <laughs> and I hate this beer. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I wonder if beets are maybe an underappreciated because so many times where you see them are on the salad bar and they're pickled or, you know. Yeah, they're not. This is... It, it was a revelation to me. Now, I like beets, but I didn't like them growing up because I ate them out of the can. Maybe they're know? the new Brussels sprout. Yeah. I think they are. <laughs> and uh, roasted, they're fabulous. And See? then suddenly in a beer, I'm like, this is genius. I really and, – and the color is – I'm so drawn to it just by – it's beautiful, just beautiful. You could shine a light through it, and yeah. it just, you know, we love rosy beers. glow. Pouring that at beer festivals just because enough people come up, up after a few minutes. Like, I don't even care what that beer is. I want the pink one. Whatever that pink <laughs> uh-huh. thing is, give it to me. Yeah. Catches your eye. What other vegetable do we need to save from the way we ate it growing up, Joe? So That's the question. The, <laughs> so the, the story the story behind the beer is pretty funny. I, my son's a vegetarian. I was talking to him on the phone one day back in probably 2010 or 11, and Asked him what he was making for dinner, and that's the only time I've ever asked him what he was cooking for dinner. And he said, beets and beet greens. Then he said, Dad, why don't you put beets in beer? Ah. So, I mean, that's how that started. Um, So I've thought back a couple times. It's a good thing he wasn't doing Brussels sprouts that that (laughs) night. Brussels sprouts beer. Hey, maybe it'd be fabulous. Might be a thing. Green You never know. Um, Let's talk about – so let's start – Maybe, Chris, talk us through some of the beers, starting with sort of the farmhouse ale style and then getting us to the sours. What, what are your regular, 
you are always changing up and you have seasonal beers. We, but what are kind of your regular stalwarts? We always have a Weiss and usually a Goza, some more styles. Um, German, yeah, Michael's got a good one. Oh, small ball too. Nice. Um, German style beer, really tart, lemony. We use lactobacillus, three different strains, and we leave them live. That's a big difference from a lot of the, the other breweries doing sour beers. We don't kettle sour them. We don't pasteurize them ever. And... Uh, and that's, that makes them really unique. They don't taste like your typical beer. So a lot of people who aren't say they don't like beer, a lot of wine drinkers, a lot of cocktail drinkers usually love them. Um, and that's something that we can kind of put our twist on, kind of a modern twist, different fruits, different elements. Uh, tea Vice is our number one beer, and that's one we buy tea from Hugo Tea Company in town. Oh, wow. It's, just, it's fun, and it's something where instead of fresh produce where we have to worry about seasonality, I can buy that tea year-round. And it's got a nice fruitiness. It's got uh, rooibos tea, lemongrass, hibiscus, and then black currants in it. Does the so, tea come through? The tea taste? You know what I mean? It's not like black tea, so rooibos is more like a honeybush. There's not a lot of tannins. So you can't make like it too strong. Almost, but yeah. there is kind of like an herbal earthiness um and then that light fruit keeps it balanced so it's not it's it is a beer you can go back to over and over again um yeah uh farmhouse sales it translate we think really well just being in the midwest these are beers that belgian farmers would drink um people in uh, europe miners would drink just something lower abv that they could have because they couldn't have water at that time and then coming into missouri this is it, it works really well for a lot of the similar mindsets in this area and they couldn't have water because it was toxic yeah. yeah, not good he, for you. So and, everybody and drank beer. When he said minors, it's not the 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 term of young people underage. It's people that work in mines. Oh wow! Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> it's a good clarification. Although, although yeah. I think kids drank quite a bit more beer back then too. I imagine, actually, I believe in Europe they maybe I don't know what the drinking age is in Europe, but it might be lower maybe than they can see over the bar. I don't know. <laughs> I guess I have no idea. So. How do you guys come up with the new beers? Like, what's your inspiration? I know, Michael, you've been out to Powell Gardens, and Chris, you have too. And that's one inspiration for some of the things you do. I mean, what 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 else gives you inspiration? It's it's a mix. It's a lot of always balancing what we want to make and drink versus also where the market's going. And mm-hmm. so there's going to be a few new styles that we're going to be introducing into our portfolio this year that let us take things that are popular right now that are a lot of fun to brew and kind of, again, put our twist on it. But we, we meet as a team, especially with the certain styles that we're familiar with, like farmhouse sales or sours. We have an idea of what that base is going to be, and then we usually have a good idea of what fruit we'd like to add or other additive and, and what it's going to do to the beer. So we do a lot of pilot batches. If you go to our tap room, there's so many more beers that you can have there that we don't distribute that people can try. So we always welcome people to come in and try new stuff. Um, but for a lot of stuff that we distribute, we've, we've got a pretty good understanding of how the beer is going to turn out. The really interesting is our, our barrel program. So we do a lot of mixed culture, a lot of wild yeast, a lot of wild bacteria, um, depending on the spirit barrel, whether it's whiskey, bourbon, rum, you know, different types of wine. That's still, we've got a base beer in mind. We know what we're going to fill the barrel with. But using those mixed cultures and time in the barrel, we don't know what we're going to get. So that's the real fun part of brewing is there's a lot of science background. You know, there's people who have their doctorates in fermentation science. They understand the biochemistry to it. And there's people who have been brewing for decades who have no science background, but they understand the technique and the methods and what works and what doesn't work. And so it's it's truly an art and a craft and a science. And, and that's one element where we get to be surprised every time something comes out of those barrels. So tell us one that you were pleasantly surprised with and one that maybe you were like, yeah, this is... This isn't going to go anywhere. <laughs> oh, um, we've been really fortunate. Like w- compared to the scale breweries and how new we are, we really haven't had to dump too many batches. Like if anything, it's it's learning about carbonation 
and different fruits and how they're going to attenuate and package. And you don't want to add too much extra sugar and conditioning to where it's going to overcarbonate. So that's been an issue for us. But some of the fun beers have been like uh, spontaneous fermentation. So that's where we won't add any yeast or, or bacteria to it. Um, we've done a couple in our boil kettle where we've either alternated our fans to, to pull pressure either from the brewery or from outside of the brewery to go over the wort. And then it just gets inoculated with whatever is in the air. Oh, I love that. Yeah, usually we do it in the winter months, so it's colder. There's not as much variance in what's going to be in the atmosphere as far as different kind of flora. But um, we did one called Township 49, which is named after Raytown Township, the Lost Township. And uh, yeah, that's one we totally don't know what we're going to get. And we got really pleasantly surprised with how that beer turned out. You can't get more local flavor than that when it's just what's in the local air. Terroir. No no kidding. But but how do you repeat that? Like, so, you know, one season it tastes like... It, it would never be the this same. This and the other yeah. season, it it's going to taste we, completely different? We kind of joke because obviously a lot of our branding, Crane, the origami crane, a lot of our art is based on origami. There's another style of art. Um, Michael used to be in ceramics called Raku, and that's kind of the same idea. You know, you you can do a, a pot a certain way. You've got the elements to add to it, but when you throw it in the fire, you, you really don't know where you're going to get until the end, and so ah. that's kind of like the Raku of, of brewing with these beers. We have a lot of beers that we, we have pretty cultured strains that we use in-house that we know the beer is going to be the same you know, year-round, a lot of our flagship beers. But even berry vice, we use blackberries and raspberries depending on when they were grown and what farm we get them from. That's going to be a little bit inconsistent year to year, but that's okay. Stupid question. You said you have cultured strains in-house. Is that almost like a sourdough starter, like you reuse some of the same? Well, those would be um, related to actually purchasing yeast strains from a brewing yeast lab. Who knew? As yeah. opposed to like harvesting wild yeast, we've right, had a right. beer um, that I think we still have a little bit called Nostalgia, and it was mostly fermented with yeast that we harvested from some fresh pears. And, wow! Uh, there's yeast on everything outside, and that's that's always been sort of my favorite thing to do, and some of my favorite styles. But that that's a style of beer that is not as popular today as it used to be. Hmm. So we're we're doing that a little bit less and doing some other styles a little bit more. How do you harvest yeast? Well, like I can see yeah. that you know it all blowing over the wort, but how do you harvest it? So I um, back in the back in the day, and we we don't really utilize this um, at the brewery now because we we need to have something that's more reliable most of the time. Because with well, you never really like Chris was saying you don't really know what you're going to get, but when you when you're home brewing and you have 25 or $50 worth of grain um, is different than having $1,000 worth of grain and have it not turn out good. So we try to be a little more conservative. But um, some of the first times that I harvested wild yeast, I took a uh, sanitized bucket of wort. Now, w- brewers make wort. That's basically just the extracted sugars from the grain mm. and um, put it in a uh, bucket with a cheesecloth over the top and set it in an herb garden or set it underneath a uh, tree, a, a uh, like a pear tree or whatever, and yeast will fall through the uh, cheesecloth, but the cheesecloth keeps the bugs out of it, the, uh, the literal bugs. And uh, I did find that other, also what works well is actually just picking fresh fruit and throwing it in a bucket of wort and then growing, and it'll start fermenting within a few days. If you've ever picked fresh like blueberries and you notice there's grapes. like a or grapes, there's like a little a fuzzy haze on the outside that sort of looks like a powdery substance. Yes, that's that's a lot of yeast. Oh, and um, it is capable of making amazing beer. 
It's also capable of making pretty, pretty not so amazing beer. <laughs> Some gnarly stuff. So, so how do you it know? It can be. Yeah, right, right. Um, just have to do um, small batches and test it. And if it's good, what we did with nostalgia is I did, I, that same day I harvested some yeast. Now this goes back into um, late 2015 or mid-2015 while we were still in the planning stages. I harvested some yeast from some wildflowers that were across the street from the brewery. And I brewed batches with both that and also the uh, from the pears. And the, uh, the ones from the wildflowers was just too phenolic-y, too almost that is a great medicinal. Word. Medicinal in flavor, and uh, but the ones from the pears were really good, and we sent that yeast sample to a lab in Chicago, and they they banked it for us, and then when we wanted to brew a beer with us, they they actually built it up for us. So. I had no idea there were yeast labs in the first place. Oh yeah. oh yeah, oh yeah. Is this what all the breweries use? Is this this extremely common practice? There's um there's um. There's a, oh, three or four different yeast labs that, that I'm familiar with that breweries use all the time. Wow. So. You have to have the right stuff, right? Right. Do you shop for it by profile, like tasting notes and everything like that? That's, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. They give, especially a lot of the Bretts, like that's something that we wouldn't be as familiar with just because you don't know the style. And they've the lab we use in Chicago has a lot of different strains, and they give you a good profile of, of what should come out of that yeast. And when he said Brett, that's um, short for Brettanomyces, which is a wild yeast, and it's actually on everything uh, outside. There's all kinds of, but there's just hundreds of, of, of strains of it, and you really know don't know exactly what profile you're going to get when you're harvesting it wild. But you can, uh, there are certain ones that are banked in the lab that there's more control over because it's been tested, and they can tell you what the profile is. Some that taste like uh, like pineapple flavors, mm-hmm. just from the yeast. That's incredible. We have we have more beer here, um, Chris. What are, what else are we gonna? What else am I gonna try? We'll switch. We'll switch it up. We're an occupational hazard. You have the uh, beer opener on your keychain, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I lost my my uh, opener at just Powell Gardens at Fungi and Fermentation. Uh-oh. I, we found it, I think. Oh, oh good. Mm-hmm. I okay. can't even be in this business no, without a, a beer opener. This has no a way. rosy hint to it. Exactly. So this is berry vice. This oh, is, this uh, is the... blackberries and raspberries. It's beautiful. Yeah, berry this is a uh, berry vice, berry white. This is the... I can't get to this enough of this beer, babe. <laughs> <laughs> like it. So who handles the marketing? I like the crane on the bottles that's it's, wonderful it, it's and, a good mix we've worked with a couple of different artists who've, who've been able to get a, a feel for what we we really want to do with it um and it does give us a lot of freedom the first graphic artist we worked with we gave them kind of an idea of different brewery names we discussed uh different ideas as far as what we want to do as a brewery and they came back with the original logo and, and crane brewing and that kind of sealed it for us and they kind of explained their their take on using origami uh the beers we do are really old traditional styles centuries old we put a modern twist on them but then origami is used, obviously very old art form as well, a lot of hand d- detail work, and it was used as an icebreaker. So hmm. people would sit down, talk to each other, teach each other different ways of holding origami, get to know each other. Beer is obviously an icebreaker. And we realized pretty quickly that we could do a lot of different art, have consistency for our labels, but be totally different images, but still have that kind of paper element to time together. I love it. It's a really cool. Okay, so I have to ask about the... Yeah, Jill's tasting for here. us today. That sat you straight up, didn't it? So, we, uh, so this oh, is, back to this the, is uh, sour, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Very okay. tart. Have you tasted it yet? Yeah. <laughs> she sat straight oh, up okay. and went <laughs> with her lips. <laughs> ah, it's going to be tart. 
So um, regarding artwork, so um, we work with different artists now, but our um, partner, um, Jason Lauk, coordinates all of the uh, artists together and comes up, fig we figure out which artist to use, and he puts the, uh, does actually, he does the final graphics, putting it all together for our labels and package design. So It's lovely. They're very distinctive, mm -hmm. um, easy to find in the market. You also mm -hmm. have, I, I noticed lately, uh, cans. Right. We, well, right. We've got crowlers that we do in the tap room. Growlers. So instead of okay. your traditional growler, like the big jugs you would get from a brewery, okay, um, which those are fine just for us. The idea of you would take it home, you'd open it, have some. A few days later, your friend might come over and try it. You know, it's, it's like a two liter soda. It's not going to taste quite like it should the first time you open it. Sure. So the, the crowlers are nice because they don't let light in. They seal a little bit better and they're one time use. So they're 32 ounce cans that we do. Mm -hmm. Oh, and crowler. That, you're crowlers. Uh, crowlers. So they let us do... Um, and basically any of the beers that we don't bottle, you can still get fresh from our tap and our draft system, so our pilot batch and stuff. And being in the Midwest, golfing, tailgating, floating, camping, anywhere you can't take glass is ideal. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about this uh, this beer a little bit, the berry. Mm -hmm. So that's a base is a German Berliner Weiss. Okay. So again, mostly pretty simple grain bill, a lot of uh, wheat ale, but then it's soured with lactobacillus, same stuff that's in you know yogurt and sour cream and pickling. Um, and it gives it a really nice lemony sourness. It's a good gateway sour. Sour ale is a very broad term. It's like, I like dark beer. What do you like? You know, porters, stouts, Schwartz right. beer. Um, All. Yeah, and they can be anything from, from this to something that's barrel-aged complex that can have pediococcus and be more acidic. And this is, like I said, a good gateway just because it's really clean and lemony and refreshing. We, we highly carbonate these more like champagne. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, perfect yeah. when it's hot out. Like these are... Big, big summertime beers. has a good nose, too. Mm -hmm. And this has about 500 pounds of raspberries and blackberries in it. Wow. Where do you get your – is it always local so, farmers? No. Or well, we, we try to get fruit. as much local as we can, the, but there's, there's not the, – we have not uh, had any consistency or consistency with doing that. So this, this we get from a company called Oregon Fruit. And uh, it's consistent, and it's uh, aseptic when we get it, so it's shelf-stable. Consistency has to be important, I imagine, for how you guys have grown. Talk about, you know, how much beer you're producing a year and you know, stores you're in and size like that. We've we've really adapted, and just, again, uh, the business side of it is uh, doing everything in phases. We didn't want to borrow a lot of money. There's been some breweries that have really struggled because they've expanded too fast mm. and, and have kind of had st setbacks. So we, one of the things we did just kind of backwards is most breweries nowadays open a tap room, kind of get their name out, raise capital, maybe go into distro one day. We went into distribution first and then opened our tap room about a year later. And so we're now in uh, Missouri, Kansas, Nebraska, Oklahoma, and we just entered Arkansas. Wow. Yeah. And it's it's working with those accounts that care about the brewery, care about what we do that we can build relationships with. We've got really good understanding with our distributors that, you know, we don't want you to just force our beer into anybody who will take it. We don't want it necessarily to be in every convenience store. Um, but the people who really care about the beer and will help it move. Um, we were bottling everything by hand when we started on 750 mil wine bottles. So oh, eight wow. to 10 people on a line, pulling bottles off a pallet, labeling, date coating, sanitizing, filling with CO2, filling with beer. Now we've got a bottling line. We've just about doubled our capacity in, in fermentation space. We've added a lot to our barrel program. Um, and for the most part, we tell people, you know, we just want to be a Midwest brewery, share with states that are near us, share with people that we can we can really connect to. Um and, and have our bills paid. We're pretty happy. As long as we can make beer and, and share it with people, we're, we're good. Chris, what did you do before you got into beer? Veterinary medicine. Okay. Yeah, so I did that for since I was a, a teenager. Um, always been a big passion of mine. I, I grew up 
with nurses. So medicine was always a big thing, and I ended up going into the animal route. Got into uh, really getting through vet school, and the brewery started taking off. And I realized I was young enough. You know, if, if the brewery work, didn't work out, I could always go back to school. But uh, this was just another passion of mine. I still stay involved with animals as much as I can. But I've uh, been really happy. My wife was pregnant with our first kid when we, this all kind of started. And she's like, now? Really? <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm like, I didn't, I didn't know if it would be any better. And now we're, I don't know when this podcast is going to air, but uh, yeah, it, we'll have a third one coming pretty soon. Oh, congratulations. So our, our family, our brewery family has grown quite a bit. <laughs> Absolutely. And Lindsay knows a little something about growing families. Oh, my goodness. Happy six months to this. <gasps> Thank you. By the way. Thank you. <laughs> Just uh, 20 and a half years away from her first beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Only. Right. <laughs> and mom's so happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> but you're good that you can get back to beer because there was a while there. Yeah. Where, you know, I was having all the fun. She was having none. That's, that's Kimmy now. Yeah, my wife, she, uh, like, just out of nowhere and, and getting used to the, the changes. Um, we, have, we have a lot of winery friends and obviously beer friends who would send some film just for her. Right. And so I'm like, I guess I'll just put this down in our cellar. Just, Absolutely. You know, we'll save the for you. I was very happy when I was no longer pregnant that there was, it, we had kept the stashes for later. Yeah. Right. Well, I remember uh, listening. I, I listened to all the True Diligence uh, podcasts. Thank you. And, and I remember the, the early, oh gosh, I don't remember how many months ago it was that talking about, Jill was talking about you being pregnant and then the <laughs> baby and then you were out for, missed a couple of episodes if I remember. Yes, correctly. absolutely, yeah. And um, I also joke with, uh, or not joke, it's the truth, I use up all my data driving around town <laughs> listening to True Diligence. That is <laughs> so lovely to hear. Thank you, Michael. We have a fan. Yes. That's right. Tell all your friends. Subscribe. Download. Thank you all. Well, the, the, the great chefs that you've had on here, um, I think almost everyone are people that we've got a relationship with, too. So it's one of the most fun things about being in the craft beer industry hmm. is uh, doing having relationships with uh, some of the best chefs around town and doing beer dinners and events. Oh, yeah. So. We just did an event out at Pal Gardens, and I want to say that, Michael, how do you— how do you pair food and, and your beers? Because I think there's an art to pairing here. Totally, totally. And you do work well, with a lot of different chefs. And yeah, and I actually, these are the things that the chefs do generally. They will do the pairing. But one of the, uh, I do remember a talk once years ago that Selena Teo mm. did. And her at the end of the discussion on pairing beer with, uh, with food was that a really well-made beer can go with almost any really well-made food. But just the other day, a chef contacted me about a uh, a beer that would pair well with strawberries. And I suggested our Omar Porter. And about an hour later, he sent me a text. He said, you're right. Well, oh. We're going to use that in the dinner. So that's fun. You know, that's interesting because we talked to uh, Mr. Doug Frost about the same thing with wine, wine pairing with food. And he brought up a good point. You know, he, it can contrast or complement. It's mm-hmm. just kind of up to you, right? We're we're excited. We're the featured brewery doing the dinner with uh, Boulevard for Boulevardia this year. Oh, and nice. that's kind of different because usually we are the featured brewery. You know, we're choosing our beers to pair with with the chef's meals, but they will each have they'll have one of their beers as well as one of our beers with each course. So they can they can either complement each other or, or really kind of set a different stage. Hmm. And and with wine, there's obviously different profiles, different elements for pairing with food. Beer, I almost think it's cheating because you've got that many more styles and then when you add fruit or other ingredients to it yeah there's just so many options 
I think it's really fun to do beer dinners because um, the pairings can be fascinating. Um, yeah, one of the uh, the most fun that I was involved with was actually at Powell Gardens too, when we had um, Katie and Josh from Crotchstrom and Carlos from the Bite mm-hmm. and Anurum, mm-hmm. um, uh, three different cultures. All and uh, so that was a, that was a lot of fun. The the events that you do at Powell Gardens are phenomenal. That was a fun one because you had um, a lot of different – you had to pair beer with a lot of different cultures there, a lot of different foods. So we had Laotian, um, we had Swedish or Scandinavian, and right. we had um, Mexican. So, right. Um, and I remember sitting there drinking different things, and I remember T-Vice turned out to be one that universally seemed right. to fit really well. Why mm. would that – yeah, I don't, I don't know. There's a the the fruitiness from the tea blend that has all the hibiscus, lemongrass, and black currant, and it's a and and it's a uh, an approachable tartness that goes with it. And uh, I think uh, each of the chefs that we worked with wanted to use that in uh, to pair with the with the food they prepared. So, yeah, I mean that was unanimous, and that's hard to do when you've got right. the chefs, um, yeah. you know. But they thought um, I guess it would work with all their different spices and. Um, yeah, and it was um, that was a lot of fun walking around, tasting everything at Powell Gardens that day. That was, and then Michael put something in his mouth, and uh oh, uh oh, it went numb. Uh oh, yeah. dangerous plants, not dangerous. <laughs> uh, yeah, unripe, well, could have been, I suppose. Um, unripened persimmons. Oh, oh, that's right. Who would have thought? I I sure wouldn't, but I do remember that day. I I tasted it, and then my mouth went all numb. And <laughs> I remember Carlos Matera said. You didn't just eat that, did you? Like, <laughs> Not what you want to hear. <laughs> he said, "I think I've gone to the dentist." You know, yeah. there's no there's no uh, juice in my mouth anymore. You know, it was yeah, it's kind of crazy. You guys have a lot of really cool events at the brewery to get people out there, um, and. Lately, I've been seeing a whole lot of Tyler Harp going through. Oh Let's my goodness! Talk a little bit about this phenomenon of. Texas style brisket. He is incredible. He's just a, a super passionate person. Um, Michael and I signed on to partnering with him almost before we even tried his barbecue. You know, first he ha- we have some mutual friends. He went down to Texas to live down there and work with the best barbecue people. He did the same thing. He moved to Memphis to do the same thing. Came back to KC knowing he want- wanted to open a barbecue place and had come to a few of our events and just realized this is where he wanted to be. The people who really care about beer, who are willing to, you know, stay there and, and spend a little bit more for quality are the same people who are going to do that for what he calls craft barbecue. Mm. So all wood, you know, not a, not overly sauced. He spends hours. So when he, he sets up on Saturdays at 11 a.m. and sells out by 2 or 3, but he comes in about Friday afternoon and spends the night at the brewery stoking it and smoking all night all the way up until, until he starts serving. So he's a low and slow barbecuer. Absolutely. And Very it, it shows. Very slow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> So is, is he just part barbecues just Saturdays at Crane Brewing? Right now, we, we want to add a kitchen and have him there full time. That's something I say we're not food guys. We are food guys, obviously, but we're not we're not restaurant people. Sure. And so we knew we wanted to partner with somebody like that. And it's an exciting time because of the bike trail is going to be cutting through the brewery. The new uh, um, Rock Island extension of the Katy Trail goes right through our parking lot. Oh, wow. And so having having been one of the only places in the metro that have food and beer and, and we're working on some other projects, too. But yeah, his his barbecue is so good, and he does some unique things. His tacos, like I always tell people, you know, he, he does typically he does ribs and burn ins, but his his tacos, he's got these uh, 
They're Carmelo tortillas from Lawrence, and he they're fried in duck fat, oh. and so they're thin, but they hold up. And then he's got pickled onions and cilantro and, and his pickled coleslaw, strawberries, and pickled strawberries, which I'd never oh, had man. before. Really, kind of alongside the brisket, just that richness really brings it out. So anyone who's who's a barbecue person needs to get out and try his stuff. Does he have the tacos every week? Pretty much. I'm that's that he's just like salivating right now. It's a, it's a staple, and he's done pulled pork belly and. Just awesome, oh, awesome stuff. I think, oh, he's also this uh, pastrami, um, beef rib pastrami. Oh. That was amazing. I was trying to sneak a piece the other day last Saturday before I had to run out to do an event, and they were moving through so fast I never got a chance to taste it. But uh, it looked amazing. And he, just little touches he makes that make it stand out. Like his coleslaw, he doesn't add sugar to it, but to have that sweetness, he dices up green apples into mm. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Phil and I always talk about the sides, appreciating the sides in barbecue. I'm a I'm a big side he's, person. He's got Same. your cheesy corn. You don't yeah. Oh, yeah. there it is. It just the, the Instagram photos for the gram, Lindsay. That's right. Um, All they for the gram. Look amazing. So if it's even half as delicious as it looks, that's we're, we're in good company. Well, that's where he caught my eye. I mean, it had to be a year ago because it said, you know, I think he had the hashtag KC Barbecue, but he wasn't here. I was like, what's right. he doing? And then I heard up he was coming home and coming to see you guys, and it was crazy. Yeah, we've had uh, some really well-known foodie people from the Kansas City area come out, and uh, he just he just has blown them away. Is it so fun? Do fun. you do you look for pairings with his barbecue, or it's just here's the tap room? Yeah, that's pretty much it. He yeah. does his thing. We do our thing. He's... Hopefully, when they come for the barbecue, they'll drink a little beer and. Hopefully for him, people that come for the beer will eat some of his barbecue. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. used a few of our sours for pickling. So oh. like he did oh, yeah. a, a pop-up with the waffle iron, and they did kind of a Kansas City take on chicken and waffles. They did brisket and waffles. Oh. And oh, more more incredible. savory. Yeah. And he did uh, beer, beer-pickled beer uh, pineapples were one of like the garnishes with that that were really good. Oh, my goodness. Oh, oh, oh. they were so good. You guys have made us so hungry. You guys said you opened the tap room later. Have you found that the experience of being at the brewery is something really important to people? Absolutely. We we pushed it through. We did a conditional permit that the city lets do to do a temporary tap room while we we're building our actual tap room just because we had enough people calling us every day. You know, when's your tap room hours? We don't have a tap room. What do you mean you don't have a tap room? You're a brewery. Since the beginning? Yeah. And yeah. so we, we started out doing bottle sales and tours. So we were just, they didn't care that we didn't have a tap room. They wanted to come out and see the space and take a tour and meet us. And that it, that was a huge element when we finally opened the tap room to have a spot where people could come, drink the beer, you know, super fresh, meet us, talk about the brewery, see the space. That's that's incredible. And you guys are in Raytown, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, we're the largest brewery in Raytown. Uh, I was going to ask, I, has the community really surrounded you yeah. guys and glad you're there? Yeah, of course, we're the only brewery in Raytown. The community's been great. The city has been terrific. They've been very supportive. Uh, a lot of the city officials come regularly, and uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun interacting with the community. We've opened up uh, and allowed uh, different community organizations to use our barrel room for meetings and parties. Um, and it, it's, it's just been great. The, the community of Raytown is terrific. Yeah, we're closest brewery to the stadium helps, so we get a lot of people come by for tailgating on the way to the game. Oh. Yeah, so we're we're only eight minutes from the stadium. Uh, five minutes if Chris is driving. <laughs> <laughs> what what else is going on in the future? I mean, can you give us any uh, fun tips? Yeah. Well, that's coming up. We're real excited about the trail. So it's the Rock Island corridor. 
that connects with the Katy Trail, and it goes when it, this segment of it's complete, it goes from uh, Lee Summit to Kauffman Stadium. Oh wow! And a trailhead right at the brewery, and um, we're real excited about the the growth. We're working on uh, an expansion plan to add an outdoor beer garden, an entertainment venue, and expanding the tap room and a private event space. So these are all in the works. Uh, actually looking uh, at and talking to investors right now to try to put the whole plan together with the hope that when the trail is complete by the end of the year or early next year that we're ready to go with that plan. So that's, that's exciting. what we're most excited about. It is about. exciting, isn't it? That's awesome. Yeah. Um, just in adapting, too, we're, we're looking at changing some of our, our packaging configurations. You know, we went 750s to 375s, and we have six packs. We're going to have four packs pretty soon. And just kind of staying on, on top of that and, and making changes. Um, and like I said, sharing more beer with more people. Kind of, We'll probably hit some more markets in the next couple of years. Hmm. And using our, our taproom space still, you know, staying local and using it as a resource. Like you said, we work with a lot of charities just where they can have a, a venue to, to kind of spread what they do. We do percentage of sales, go to them, which makes it really easy. Um, we're doing our first pint for pint in July. So community blood tender is going to come out. They've got a new mobile station now. So people can come out, they'll donate a pint of blood, and they'll get a little coupon to next time they come out for a free beer. I don't think you're supposed to drink beer right after you it, give blood. Yeah, not, was, not the same day. I was going to ask, like, how does that work? Yeah, yeah. It'll be a voucher for another day. <laughs> Return visit. Those all sound like really exciting things. Um, Lindsay, are you ready to get out to Raytown? It's time to test the suds out at Crane Brewing. Yeah. Come out on a Saturday, but get there early because uh, he, he starts serving now at 11 o'clock. So I'm guessing the lines will form about 10, 15 or so. Oh, man. And when, when we were opening at noon, uh, lines were forming at about 11.30, and he was sold out by 2. And he's um, just maxed out the capacity of his smoker. He's got a giant smoker about 20 feet long. But uh, anyway, he's actually looking to get a much bigger one and be there more days in the upcoming months. There you go, Chew Diligencers. That's your uh, weekend plan for you. Saturday barbecue and beer. So much to do. Thank you so much for all that you guys have done in the community. It's fabulous beers and lots of very cool events. Well, thanks. I, we appreciate the opportunity to, to be on Chew Diligence. I listen to it all the time. I don't know if Chris has had yes. a chance to. But it's a it's a it's uh, it's great. It's a great community, and uh, it's fun being part of it. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.